Welcome back to the Pave the Way podcast, a joint initiative with Rahagiri Foundation and the National Institute of Urban Affairs, where I, your host Akash Basu, speak with mobility experts and people with interesting ideas around the globe on all kinds of issues and ideas surrounding sustainable mobility and transport planning. On today's episode, I will have the pleasure of speaking with, and you will have the pleasure of hearing from, the CEO and co-founder of Safety Pin, Kalpana Vishwanath. Uh, Kalpana received her PhD in sociology at the Delhi School of Economics and has since dedicated a large part of her career on making our city safer for women with a focus on mobility for women as well. She is a board member at the International Center for the Prevention of Crime, a board member at SLOCAT, which is a partnership on sustainable low-carbon transport, a chairperson at Jagore, and much more even, more than I could list without taking up another five minutes of the episode. Today, we get to hear from her on the gendered impact of mobility. So, without further ado, allow me to introduce the guest for this episode. How are you, Kalpana? Akash, nice to be here. It's lovely having you on and I'm confident you'll be providing a lot of value to our listeners today. Let's start um, with your organization, Safety Pin. Um, Could you tell us a little more about the work that you do? Yeah, thank you. So, Safety Pin um, is a social enterprise that is working towards building safer and inclusive public spaces, uh, mobility, and cities with a focus on women and those who are normally excluded and not at the table when uh, cities and mobility is being planned. We um, are a tech company. We have several technology tools that we use to collect data because we believe that evidence and data are crucial to getting policymakers and others to relook at the, the way that cities are designed and planned. So our focus is on data. We use technology as an enabler for that and work with a range of urban stakeholders, uh, local governments, uh, civil society organizations, as well as community groups to help them use this data in order to bring about changes and interventions that make our cities and our public spaces safer, more accessible, inclusive, and responsive to the needs of those who are normally excluded. We work in several cities around the world, in India as well as globally. That's very interesting. So is mobility, when it comes to women, one of the bigger issues to tackle when looking into this? Absolutely. Uh, Mobility, um, what does the right to the city mean? It actually means the ability to move around and access opportunities. Right? What is the city offers us? It offers us the right, to, the opportunities for education, for employment, for leisure, for sport, for communication, uh, friendship. All of this requires the ability to move around. So transport actually is central. It's the core of being part of a city, being a citizen of any city. Having said that, we know that uh, there are enough, there is enough evidence to show that women are not as free to move around in cities, uh, not just in India, but globally as well. So certainly for our work, for any work on the right to the city, the right to mobility is central. 
Um, so I was reading a World Bank article on this, and I think the title was that transport is not gender neutral. There are different needs, there are different patterns, and it's just not as safe or as accessible for men, women, all genders. Um, so could you elaborate on what that means exactly? What are the challenges when it comes to providing safe and accessible transport for women? So I think if we, um, I'd like to start by saying that traditionally the transport sector um, has designed both the hardware, that is vehicles and other things, as well as what as the planning of transport for an able-bodied heterosexual male, right? So the entire way that transport has been planned, so you have something which is known as the rush hour. So we are expecting that people leave in the morning, come back in the evening, and they're able to, for example, maybe you know, reach a bus stop or a metro station, they're able to be out the entire day at a workplace and come back. Who are we excluding in all this? We are excluding uh, women for sure. We're excluding people who are not fully able-bodied. We are excluding people who are older. We are excluding young people. Uh, we are uh, So there's a range of people who are not the the user, as we call when you do transport planning. Of course, that is changing. And I think the pressure from the fact that different groups have been excluded is pushing the sector to change. So the, whether it's the rush hour, which clearly look, is clearly made for men. I mean, only men move in that way because you're presuming that there's somebody else who's doing all the care work in the house that you can be out from morning to night. Secondly, even the design of vehicles. So, you know, in a metro or a bus, for women, actually, when we go and we try and hold that thing at the top of the bus, it is actually just a little bit higher and not as comfortable. So it's actually designed for average height male. Similarly with airbags, they're designed for a certain body type. So I think um, uh, the bias towards the user of transport is a very deep bias. And therefore, a, a lot of steps need to be taken to actually address that. Of course, there are many, uh, I mean, you know, today there's research showing that women especially use the city differently. You know, for example, and to say that when you say transport and mobility are not gender neutral, what is it that's different? One is women tend to travel not only in peak hours, but often in non-peak hours as well. Number two, women tend to use less private vehicles. So in a family, if there is one vehicle, whether it's a car, whether it's a motorcycle, whether it's a scooter, it will be used by the man. So women will use um, less private vehicles. And number three, women, because they are primarily um, the bearers of the work of care in any society, not just in India, but globally, they have to do a lot more activities during the day. And so therefore, they use a very common word today, which is trip chaining. So they go from place A to place B, they may leave in the morning, drop their child at school, then go to work, on the way back in the afternoon, pick up the child, go to the supermarket, pick up something in the evening, take an elderly family member to the park, to the doctor. So the work of care entails a lot more activity during the day. So these three broad areas of non-peak travel, less private vehicles and trip chaining are quite defining of the way that women access the city. Uh, when it comes to trip chaining with all of these trips, I'm, um, what is the most common method of movement if it's not private vehicles? Is it public transport? Is it more things like autos and other ways to get by? So um, it is a range of things. So actually the last census 
showed that more than 84% of women who move out for work actually walk. So walking is actually a very big mode of transport for women. And therefore, we need better streets, we need better pavements, we need uh, amenities close by, whether it's childcare, whether it's healthcare. Women are also using public transport, whether it's the bus, but the, the metro in some cases, uh, the BRT where it's available. But also for the last mile or the shorter distances, they are using cycle rickshaws, e-rickshaws, auto rickshaws, uh, and others which take them short distances. Uh, in terms of their movement. So clearly women are major users of public transport, um, not just in India, but data from around the world shows that women actually do use public transport in across the world. In some parts of the, in some parts of the US and the Europe, women are, are actually larger users of public transport than men are. For example, in France, it seems 64% of public transport users are actually women. So women are, you know, I think clearly it is a moment for the transport sector to recognize that they need to relook at the way that transport has been designed and planned. Yeah, as you said, research in developed and developing countries suggests that women are more dependent on public transport than men. When it comes to accessibility, obviously there are issues, but how big of a problem is safety, especially in, let's say, India? Um, and even more specifically, Delhi, um, when it comes to harassment and just this l- lack of feeling of safety when moving around for women, how big of a problem is that and how do we address that? So safety actually is a very big problem. I think it's a quite a central problem, uh, certainly in India, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the level of impact that it has on women's lives. But just to, you know, before I get into India, I just want to share a global statistic that for, in a study that was done in 16 countries in 2016 uh, by Cornell University, where 75% of the women surveyed said that they had changed their transport plans because of harassment. So this is actually a global problem that impacts women's ability to move. In India... Uh, several studies have been done by the UN as well as by other agencies which show that, you know, in Delhi, it was over 80% women respondents said they had faced sexual harassment. Even in Mumbai, where we think it's a safer city, over 65% of the respondents said they had faced sexual harassment in the past year. Okay, this question was asking the past one year. Uh, the study has been done in Bangalore, in Guwahati, in Kerala. Uh, So, as well as the national um, uh, data shows that sexual harassment uh, in public spaces is a highly um, sort of underreported crime. Uh, Because what happens? You're going in a bus, you are sexually harassed. Where is the opportunity to actually report? Even when we are saying the crime statistics, we know it's only the tip of the iceberg. Because a lot of these crimes are not reported. But these surveys that were done, uh, showed us two things. One is the number is very high, but also the majority of the um, harassment took place either on public transport or while waiting for public transport. So, you know, we, we are seeing the, the big correlation. Women are moving around, they are trying to take public transport, but while they are standing on the street, while they're in a bus, while they're walking to a bus stop, that is where the, the sexual harassment is taking place. 
Now, what does this lead to? This leads to have several consequences on women's lives. And I think that's very important to, to note that the, the lack of safety, the only consequence of it is not the actual violence, but it is the impact that it has on women's ability to access opportunities. So women themselves start policing themselves. They say that, oh, I won't go out. I won't do this. Uh, secondly, families uh, police women, especially younger women's women. Uh, in a small study that we had done um, in a low-income neighborhood in Delhi, uh, we found that through our safety audit data that uh, women, young women were not able to access their evening tuition classes because of lack of safety. On the on the way to tuitions, um, so you know it's it, it, it's it's from that level, you know, accessing opportunities for education, then accessing opportunities for employment, then the final one, which is leisure, is not even in the consideration. Women are not, not even expected to be out now. If you go to De if in Delhi, Delhi is a city of beautiful parks. If you step out, you will find that men enjoy the public spaces, sitting in the park, lying down in the park. You'll rarely find women having that freedom to really um, enjoy a public space, um, especially in a group of just women or definitely not alone. So I think um, the, the lack of safety has an insight on every aspect of women's lives. And uh, I think the sort of the Final sort of the statistic which is really disturbing is the is is showing us that the women um, female labor force participation in India is going down, and there is now evidence to show that lack of safety is one of the elements that is having an impact on women's freedom and confidence to go out and access uh, whatever the city can offer them. You know, at, at Rogery, when we look at lack of road safety, part of the problem we identify is that, you know, it's, or what people think anyways, is it's driver attitudes um, that need to be changed. You know, a lot of the reasons why people die is overspeeding or drunk driving. But what we've, what we've noticed is that that isn't the solution. The solution is to make our roads safer by design and to make sure that the engineering is correct and these accidents will take place to a much lesser extent. When it comes to harassment, it seems like something where education or um, trying to change the attitudes of those harassing seems like a solution. But is that, um, how, do, how do we go about solving the problem of women feeling unsafe due to harassment in public spaces and public transport? See, it's a very complex problem and there is no magic bullet solution. So we have to, you know, as I always say, to do the hard work. And the, you know, the deep dive work. So certainly, um, it is an issue of social and cultural norms we have to address, right? So we have to look at what are the social norms in societies which permit and which allow men to feel that they have the right to harass women. So that's a big one. So in changing social norms, we have to look into families. We have to look at our education system. We have to look at media. We have to look at films. I mean, for many, many years, a very sort of popular trope in Bollywood was, you know, the hero sort of stalking, following the woman until she said yes. You know, so this promotes an idea that women, when women say no, they actually mean yes. 
I think this is something we have to challenge, you know, that you know, stalking and just continuously following a woman is a crime. It's not a, it's not a way of expressing your love. It's not a way of courtship. And I think that has to change. So I think that's our one big one that we need to um, look at. But social and cultural norms take time to change. And we cannot wait for social cultural norms to change before we begin to uh, access a city. And therefore, there are many other stakeholders who can play a role. So like you said, in road safety, the design of the street can be changed. Similarly, in addressing uh, women's uh, sort of lower access and fear of uh, uh, harassment, the transport, the transport the sector can do many things. Number one, uh, globally, uh, less than 10% of the transport sector has women. So I think just gendering the transport sector is a big issue. You know, you get more women's perspectives, whether they are in the management or whether they are bus drivers, whether they are taxi drivers, whether they're school bus drivers, conductors, auto drivers. So I think just gendering the entire spectrum, you know, uh, there are some interesting initiatives, you know, in, in, in Delhi there is uh, um, uh, women's uh, taxi service, Sakhar cabs. I know in Kerala they even uh, have uh, taken the effort to have uh, people from the third gender in uh, the metro stations and metro uh, as metro drivers. So number one, the sector needs to be diversified, right? Number two, the way you plan mobility can be um, much more uh, cognizant of the care economy, of women's realities. So this could be just better planning of the routes, right? So that when, you know, at one o'clock, when a lot of women are actually moving around to pick up children from the, this thing, you can have a, a more buses rather than only at eight in the morning at five in the evening. Number three, bus stop design, um, metro design can be more friendly, you know, you can have places to sit. You can have good lighting. You can have what we call eyes on the street. So don't make a, it in a deserted place, but actually have maybe some street vendors, some uh, shops, uh, don't have very high walls. So even urban design can be used to design um, safer spaces for safer transport. And um, I think when you talk about walking, I would really link that to the work that Rahagiri does. Because actually... If women are a majority, a majority of women are walking, we know that our streets in Delhi and in India are extremely unsafe because very often we have to step off the pavement and walk because the street, the pavement is unwalkable. So therefore, even fixing the walking infrastructure would improve not just road safety, but also sexual harassment. Because I'll just give you an example. When, you know, as a woman, when we walk down the street, and the pavement, as it is narrow, and it's, it's got uh, obstruction, and you see one or two men walking from the other side, the instinct is for the woman to step off the pavement, right? So she's already endangering herself in, in, in terms of road safety. So there is actually a link between all these different issues. And the moment we have at the table this diversity of women, and I would like to um, uh, emphasize the diversity of women, because it's not as if there is one uniform experience that a woman faces. If I have a private car, my experience is different. If I live in a low-income neighborhood, my experience is different. If I'm 14 years old or if I'm 40 years old, my experience is different. If I am a migrant, if I know the language, if I'm, you know, there are many, many uh, intersections 
with gender that we need to uh, ensure is understood in the planning of transport. Uh, so the, you know, the, sh- the long answer to your short question is yes, social and cultural norms need to be changed. But along the way, there are many other things that can be done uh, in order to make sure that. Um, and finally, actually, we, the other thing I think is gender sensitization of transport staff, which has been done, which is actually being done in Delhi the past nearly 15 years, I would say, where um, whether it's bus drivers, bus conductors, auto drivers, cab drivers, they are actually trained on what does it mean to be gender sensitive when you are um, moving around, you know. So I think you, you need, we need to co-opt more people into the whole effort. Because it's not, and I, as I always say, women's safety is not the responsibility of women. It is a responsibility of a range of urban stakeholders and actors to make the city safer. Because when the city is safer for women, many people will benefit, not just women. Businesses will benefit, retail will benefit, you know, government will benefit, public spaces, public transport, everything will benefit, you know? Right now, if you're saying that, you know, only 26% or 20% of women are working, what is that impact on the economy? I mean, the fact that if you could actually have 80% of women working, our economy, I mean, there have been some recent studies by McKinsey and others showing what is the level of um, uh, sort of increase in GDP if actually women enter the workforce in in the way that they should be able to. Wow, that was very well put. A lot of really, really good points there. Generally, the last question of this podcast is how do we pave the way forward? Because the name of the podcast is the Pave the Way podcast. But I think you've perfectly put out there how we need to be paving the way forward. All the different stakeholders that need to be involved, all the different policies that need changing and just the need to be more inclusive when it comes to the planning and even the staffing um, when we look at transport policy. I guess what I'll ask instead is, do you see us moving in the right direction? Um, Let's say, I mean, I I guess we'll talk about India or even Delhi specifically in five or 10 years. Do you see this city, our cities being much safer for women? So, um, I mean, I uh, I am an optimist, which is why I do the work that I do. Uh, because I do believe that we can change things. I do believe that it can be made a better place. But as I said, many people need to be involved in that endeavor. Uh, in our data, so at Safety Pin, we have an app called My Safety Pin, to which we can do safety audits. And there we find that one of the biggest factors that makes women feel safer on the street is the presence of other women. So a city like Delhi, which is currently still quite male-dominated, especially after dark, I think, you know, um, we just need to look at ways to get women out more, you know. So one is certainly, you know, you improve uh, kind of amenities. You improve, you know, just by having more women vendors, women in petrol pumps, women as drivers, women as shopkeepers. You sort of just feminize the public space a lot more, number one. You know, that makes an, an impact on how things can change. So I think, I do believe that, you know, that the, there is a will to change in, in, in India, in Delhi. I think um, young women are asserting their right to equality and equitable access. I think there's a lot more support from other institutions. Uh, so um, I feel that... Um, with uh, 
better uh, participation, with better uh, understanding of the issue. I think it's also an understanding of the issue, right? I mean, otherwise it's like, how is transport a gender issue? As I say, every issue in the world is a gender issue. Climate is a gender issue. Health is a gender issue. Education is a gender issue. So once we recognize that, and I think that has happened by many urban stakeholders, by our governments, now the SDGs have very strong goals on both gender equality as well as SDG 11 on inclusive public spaces and cities. Um, and India is a signatory and we do report on this. So I think there are many factors. It's a bottom-up movement where I think women and communities are asserting their rights. It is from the top, whether it's the SDGs, whether it's um, even our government mandates uh, and having more women in the sector. So I do believe that things can and will improve um, because the, I think more and more people are recognizing that actually by bringing more women into the public space, public domain, you're actually... making the public domain and public space a more caring and inclusive one. That was very well put. Um, I think how you explained it is that it, it's an intricate process towards improvement, towards development in, these, in, in the issue of women's safety. Similarly, in, this, in the case of street safety, I mean, for all users or just... you know making our streets safer you need major stakeholders i mean you need stakeholders bottom up top down and it will be slow it will be gradual but with proper investment and recognition of the problem and understanding of the solution we can really it's good to remain optimistic because we can be moving in the right direction uh, anyway that's that's all my questions for today it's been a pleasure speaking with you and i i believe there's a real real value to be taken in by our listeners on this specific topic certainly uh you and safety pin have contributed in a significant way to bringing light um onto the conversation around women and mobility and in making real change in our cities i'm sure safety pin will only continue to grow and i'm excited to see what the future has in store for it so i thank you for coming on kalpana it's been a pleasure thank you and i would say that all to all your listeners that they can download the safety pin app and also contribute their perspectives of the city and help make the data much richer and have a wider representation of voices thank you you heard it download the safety pin app thank you kalpana take care thank you, thank you.